Tonight we'll be reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 5, which should be on page 954 of the Pew Bibles, so I'll give you a moment to open those up. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Today, aren't people looking across? It's good. Um, wonderful to be, be together as God's people. We are going to approach God's word now. Uh, obviously, I've gone away this week and engaged in this passage, but as we come to God's word, this is something we do together. It's not just Matt coming up here and preaching at you. This is something we together come to God's word. So I'm going to pray. And then we'll, we'll get to what God has to say to us. It is a ch- challenging, but I think a yet inspiring passage uh, that we come to this evening. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us who you are, reveals to us the Lord Jesus what it means to be one of your people. And so we pray that by your spirit we'll be challenged, we'll be shaped in the likeness of Jesus, uh, that I'll speak your words and that you will get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, does anybody know what uh, this is? I know I'm not holding anything, doing something. Anyone know what this is? Or if I give it a bit of a... World's smallest violin? Anyone? No, a couple of slap of the heads. Okay, that's okay. World's smallest violin. This comes out, I was introduced to it by my in-laws, but it's much more prevalent. It comes out when there's any kind of superficial suffering that someone goes through. Like, for, for example, at the moment, those of us that have a bunch of streaming accounts um, and you, like, share with your family, Netflix, Stan, Disney, or whatever, Netflix have decided that there's no more family sharing. That is, that's a travesty. Some kind of suffering that we're going to go through, right? Uh, to, you know, together as we start paying our own way. Maybe it's like at a wedding... Uh, you know, when you go to a wedding and you're keen to get the steak or the lamb or whatever it may be, and it's alternate, and then you get the sautéed chicken mushroom soup, right? You're suffering, but really it's, it's superficial kind of stuff. But then there's some stuff that we'll reluctantly suffer for in life. Uh, say, for example, you're going to the dentist. Not really something we enjoy doing, but we, we reluctantly go, we endure that kind of thing. And then there's things which we're passionate about, things that we will willingly endure suffer for uh, in order to, uh, to achieve a goal, whether it's in our family or our work, in some kind of project we have, an ambition, something we're passionate about. 
For those of us that like fun facts, the origin of the word passion comes from the word to suffer in the Latin. So we're passionate about something. We will suffer for it. And it's not that we enjoy the suffering, but we will rejoice as we go through it because we have the goal in mind. The result is worth it. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Colossians chapter 1 into chapter 2. He's talking about um, how he rejoices in the suffering that he goes through because it's an essential element of people being reached for Christ, of growing into maturity. He suffers for Christ because it's worth it. Now we are in this middle, uh, we have begun this uh, sermon series in Colossians. We've called it Captivated by Christ. They're further away because we've got the, uh, the band here tonight. But as we look through Colossians, if you're new to us or you've forgotten what we're going on, let me just paint the picture for us. Paul's writing a letter uh, to a group of people in Colossae in, in Turkey. And the scene is that these people are faithful, they're followers of Jesus, but there's all these pressures that are trying to pull them away. There's wise ways of thinking that is against Jesus, false teaching, these kind of stuff. That The, the culture around them and people within are saying, look beyond Jesus. Look beyond him for some, something else, for your hope for eternity, for how you live in the present today. Look beyond Jesus. Very similar to our culture that we live in, in today. That's what's going on. And in chapter 1, Paul, uh, Ange gave us a bit of a summary when he was giving announcements there. But what we've seen so far, Paul has encouraged them, he's prayed for them, and then he's kind of magnified the supremacy of Christ. He's held up Christ above all things. And that he's the one who makes us reconciled to God. Nothing compares to Christ. That's been the narrative, big kind of big overarching vision. Do you want me to use that? Or that? I'll just use this. too much. Where were we? We were talking about Paul and his grand vision. But then he gets to this part of the passage where he starts talking a bit more personally. He starts talking about his own passion and his desire and his vision for the church. And so as we explore uh, this passage tonight, we're going to look at through Paul's perspective. How is it that he is chasing after Jesus, how it is that he's seeking others to know him. And therefore, we'll see how he feels, how he thinks, what compels him to then hopefully we will be inspired to fall in the way of Christ too. That's our trajectory. So Paul, as Nick had it read to us, you would have seen that he's a suffering servant. This is a passage about a life of a suffering servant. Paul is about it, we are about it too as followers of Jesus, willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. So Paul says right at the beginning here, chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I feel up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now there's a bit going on, there's a bit of a strange verse, it doesn't initially make sense as, as we read it. But as you hear the word suffering, I'm sure there's a reaction within you. Something comes to your mind. There might be some kind of personal thing that's gone on with your life or the way that you've heard about suffering you've been spoken about in the church and there's a reaction when you read about it in the Bible. There could be a whole range of reasons for that. One of the reasons, more uh, in the, the macro level, is that we live in a culture that is orientated around pain and pleasure. A plain pain and pleasure culture which says if something is um, good, 
then it's pleasure. If something is bad, then it's pain. Pain is bad, pleasure is good. And so that we have this default position to avoid suffering. Right? Stub your toe, bad, eat chocolate, good. And just as we go through life, that is how uh, we're conditioned to think. Our default position is to avoid suffering. But Paul is going to show us a different way. He's going to show us a different way to understand what it means to suffer, what it means to rejoice, in fact, as we go through suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, the first thing to note about the, the nature of Paul's suffering is who he suffers for, who he's suffering for. He's suffering for the sake of Christ's body, the church. He's suffering for other people. It's not about his personal development. That's not the focus here. He suffers for others, for the cause of Christ. So to be clear, the focus of this part of God's word, this passage, and how we're going to explore it tonight is that it's not a theology of suffering. It's not how does a good God allow evil. It's not about what does it look like to walk through suffering with God. Those are good, appropriate, right questions to ask. And that's not what this passage is talking about, though. Paul's focus here is, I'm going to suffer for the church to see them grow, to see people come to know Christ, to experience life in him. Now, the suffering that Paul is referring to, uh, he's in prison, as he writes this, literally in chains, uh, as he um, is talking about the suffering that he's enduring. And we know from other parts of his life, he's been whipped, he's gone without food, He's lost his prestigious level in society of being a Jewish leader and a Pharisee. He's directly physically suffered and socially suffered for following Jesus. Now, you and I are going to suffer in a whole bunch of different ways, and we'll get to what that looks like as we go. But as we explore this passage, be thinking, what are the ways that we can be suffering for the cause of Christ? But that's the way that Paul does it. The second thing is this strange wording in the middle that we kind of skipped over the beginning, and we'll go back to it now. Where Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. That's a strange verse. Uh, It doesn't immediately make sense. Uh, It sounds almost a bit heretical. Let me say first what it can't be saying. It can't be saying that in some way Christ's death is insufficient. That in some way Paul's got to add to what Christ does in order for salvation to go out. Uh, to others. Paul is not saying that. We see that through all of his letters, the rest of the New Testament. It is abundantly clear uh, that that is not what Paul is talking about. So what could it mean? What would it mean to fill up his flesh with what is still lacking? Many of the commentators make the comment that because Christ is united with the church, when the church suffers, Christ suffers. So when Paul was in his conversion story on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Jesus comes to him and he says, Saul, Saul, who was what it was previously called, why do you persecute me? Now Paul is persecuting the church, but Jesus is like, no, you're persecuting me. So because Christ sees himself so united to the church, when they suffer, he's suffering with them. And Paul is saying, All right, I fill up my flesh with the sufferings for the church in order uh, to participate in what Christ is doing there. But there's another thing that's going on. See, Christ has achieved salvation for all people, but it's yet to reach everyone. Not everyone has found out about it yet. There's this quote from Martin Luther which says, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. People have to hear about Christ, hear about what he offers to them. And so these afflictions that Paul is filling up in his flesh is... When he goes out, he wants people to know Christ, to grow in him, and the suffering that comes as a result of that. He's saying, I'm lapping it up. 
Not that he wants to suffer, but he wants people to know, wants people to grow. And so he'll fill his, um, fill his body up with that. He'll gladly go through it for that result. And he goes on to say from verse 25, I've become a servant by the commission of God to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept kept hidden, hidden for ages and generations, now disclosed to the Lord's people, in whom we have the glorious riches of the mystery of Christ. What Paul is saying here is he's on a mission that is God-given. This isn't Paul's agenda. It isn't like he's made something up and now he's going about it. No, this is God's mission. He's called to it. He's on about it. And this word mystery, like it's a little bit strange when it's talking this kind of language. What it, what it means is the gospel. It was previously veiled, previously unknown how it is that God would call people to himself. It was previously unknown that God would send his son. That would be that's mind-blowing. But now that's revealed. It's made known. Like fog lifting it. You couldn't see it, but now you can see. It's been made clear. And then we get this beautiful, succinct uh, summary at the end of verse 27. It says, The mystery which is Christ within you, the hope of glory. Christ within you, the hope of glory. Friends, if you're a Christian, you have this present privilege of Christ within you. And if you're not a Christian yet and you're, you come and you follow him, then this is yours too. This present privilege of having Christ within you. Because when Christ is in you, it's not only that Christ says you're mine, my daughter, my son, my child. Yes, that's true. But Christ also looks at you and says, home. I'm in you. That is the beautiful present privilege that we get to uh, enjoy. And then we have the future confidence, the hope of glory. Because Jesus will physically come back one day. He'll usher in his new kingdom. Uh, He'll come in full. The hope of glory which is to come. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And that, that hope that is within us, Christ calls us towards it, draws us. And that's our future confidence not a wishy-washy hope 100% hope that calls us forward and so for all that we see here a suffering servant's life can therefore result in rejoicing because this is the reality for people the suffering is worth it he's fulfilled his commission now it's not that Paul delights in the suffering not like yay I'm suffering it's just that he knows that suffering is an integral part of seeing the mission be fulfilled It's a lot like a runner going for a run or an athlete training or something like that. When an athlete or a person goes for a run, you and I, it's for health or fitness, maybe it's in a competition, maybe a bit crazy like Amber and Lockie going these six-mile track hikes, whatever it may be. When we do that or a person does that, they get tired. You run, you get tired. If someone went on a run and didn't get tired, you'd be like, I don't know if you actually ran, right? And Paul is saying this is the nature of the Christian world. In some part, you experience suffering. But just like the runner doesn't delight in the suffering, but chases after the God. And so, friends, as Faith is not about being comfortable. That's a hard word to say. That's a hard word for us to to live in, that faith is not about being comfortable. 
Jesus says a bunch of times that we read about in the Gospels, in all sorts of different ways, summarized with, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself, die to the world, but find life in me. Actually, life to the full, life abundant. Um, yeah, the blessed life. But you, we don't live a comfortable life. We die to ourselves and we live for him, for others. So if you're a Christian, it is worth asking, do we pursue comforts or pursue the cause of Christ? That's a difficult question for us to answer, but it's one worth asking. Are we pursuing comforts or the cause of Christ? Then as Paul goes on, he continues and he says that he's a servant who, what we've seen is he's a servant who suffers for the church, for people, everyone to come to know. But then he says what we see is the overall vision, the overall vision that God has given him that Paul has that results in suffering. This is verse 28. He being Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is Paul's kind of mission statement, his purpose statement in life. You know, if you were to have a a resume, and at the top you've got your name and your details, but then often people will have like a purpose statement on their resume. Paul would probably get write something like this. He's a person who is an adopted son of God, saved in him, but he is keen with all of his being to see others come to know Christ, to grow in him. And he suffers, he labours with the energy Christ has given him to see others come to know. Christ is preached, people are warned, people are taught in Christ to become mature. Now to be fully mature with Christ is a pretty loaded word. Uh, in, in the Bible there's, well Paul in particular makes a bunch of comments about it. I, when I was at college I did a, a thesis on the word teleos which is the mature word here. So I'll keep it brief what is being painted. In the simplest terms, to be fully mature means that Christ is your Lord. The mature person has Christ as their Lord, and therefore Christ is the center of their life. And therefore, when Christ is the center of their life, they will live every aspect in a Christ-like way. They'll live like Christ in every aspect of life. To be mature is not about achievement. It's not about this kind of moral progress. It's about Jesus as Lord and living as if he were you in every aspect of life. And that is the vision that Paul has for everyone. He wants people to come and know that, therefore to be um, presented mature to Christ when he returns. And he strenuously contends for that. It drives him. Christ's cause drives him. The word that is used here is actually, or in the Greek, is agonizomai, where we get the English word agony. Paul is like, man, I'll go through agony to see this formed in other people. When we put in the big yards, we strain, we toil for something, whether it's we cram for an assignment, whether it is we want to see our children flourish, we go to the gym, whether we go to a peaceful protest seeking justice for someone, another group of people, project at home or at work, you labor, you strain, you put in effort, that is the way of the Christian for others. We go above and beyond in order for the cause of Christ to see others grow, to come to maturity in him. And as we're kind of captured by that vision, Paul gives a wonderful inspiration, but also a correction at the very end of chapter one. I do this with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Paul labors, he toils. It's not just like grace, I'll stand back. No, it's grace, I'm fueled, right? Grace fuels us. It doesn't make us stand still, but it's Christ's energy that works through him. Christ is the fuel. 
Like fuel in a car, we drive, we steer, we're after Christ's vision, but it's him who provides the energy. Paul labours, but God fuels and sustains. And that's the same with us. We labour, we toil with the grace that God has given us, but he fuels, he sustains us. We strenuously contend for others. That's what the Christian is about, strenuously contending for the good of other people. It's Christ in us. We get the joy, he gets the glory. We get the joy, he gets the glory. And so then we ask ourselves, well, who are we contending for? Who is it that we are strenuously contending for? Where is it in your life, the places, the people that we can be putting in effort for them to know Christ, to grow in him, to experience the beauty of the kingdom of God and all that that means? For someone else, not just for you. Who, where are those places? Who are those people? Who is the person? When we consider our own life, could we say we're strenuously contending? Would this be a description that we give ourselves? And I'm not saying I've nailed it in any way. I'm saying I'm inspired by this vision that Paul is living out, inspired by the vision that Christ has set, not professing to be perfect at all. He's sold out. He's captivated by the gospel and by seeing other people know Christ, that he'll strenuously contend. So perhaps write down the names. Paul had the Colossians written down. He had the latest scenes written down. He had a whole bunch of churches written down for people that he wanted to see come to know and grow in Christ. Who are they for us? Who are the people? How can we strenuously contend for them with the energy Christ has given us? So what we've seen so far is that Paul, he's a suffering servant. He's captivated by the vision of people becoming mature in Christ and he will strenuously contend. He'll suffer to see that fulfilled. But then he moves on in the beginning of chapter 2 to the goal. Kind of the result of what happens in the community of people uh, when they are mature in him. This is the goal that is worth suffering for. So in chapter 2, starting from verse 2, he says, My goal is that, they'll, that, that you will be encouraged in heart, united in love. Growing in the full riches, knowing, complete understanding in all that you know, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. And I tell you this, that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. And at the end of verse 5, this is also that will stand firm in Christ. As a picture of Christian maturity, to stand firm in Christ, living it out in community. There's more to it, but this is his focus in this letter. And so his overall goal is to stand firm, but he gives four particulars. And so work through it again, I'll highlight the four particulars that he um, identifies. First is to be encouraged in heart. The picture of a Christian uh, who's growing, who is mature in community, is that they encourage others in heart. They stand by one another. We, we stand by one another, encouraging each other. Reminding each other of the gospel, the hope to which we've been called, the highs, the lows, the sufferings in life, the joys of life. We stand by one another. And that extends into the second one, is that we're united by love. The Christian is united to others in love. We stand together. People who love each other, they don't leave. They're united no matter what comes. And for the Christian church, that is what we are to be about. We stand by one another together and then the third thing is to have to know the truth that's in christ this is what this second half of verse two and into three was about all these riches of christ 
The mature person in community sees that. They stand by one another, encourage one another, but they stand in the right place. It's no good to like stand by one another in some way that's wrong. No, you stand in the right place on Christ. And Paul is urging the Colossians to put their hope and anchor in him. Which then brings us to the fourth one, which is to have discernment. This is going to be the key thing that Paul continues to talk through as he goes through the letter. But to know what to avoid, knowing who to stand with, how to stand with them on the right place in Christ, but then also what to avoid. Because what is to be avoided is the things that are false, but they look attractive, they look good. My kids have some fake money at home. Uh, they got some $50 bills and $100 bills, and they walk around when they think they're loaded, right? They love it. Now, it's going to get to a stage where they get a bit older, they have some more discernment, and they realize this is just fake. It looks real to them, it's attractive, but actually it's fake. It's worthless. Friends, that is what the culture of this world, which is against Christ, is like. It looks attractive, but when we are rooted in Christ, when we see him for the riches that he is, that he offers to us, we just see it as fake $100 bills. The true riches are found in him, and as we grow deeply in Christ, we'll be able to discern what to avoid. And friends, this is not a solo task. It is part of what we do as an individual, but it's certainly something we do in community. So chat about it with one another. How it is that you can stand together, how it is you can encourage one another, stand firm in the right place, knowing what to avoid. We certainly need help with all of those things. It's a community thing. In your home groups this week, chat about it, explore it. What does it look like to actually partner with one another, to do life together in this way? The goal that he's calling us towards. That's what we strive for. This is what Paul is rejoicing about when these people are standing firm, living the way of Christ. That's why he can rejoice. So then as we look back at this passage as a whole, when we consider all it is that he said in just this short section, we can see that the cause of Christ is not achieved without some element of suffering. It's not achieved without some element of suffering. And so the Christian life must have the marks of suffering in some way, shape, or form, but it's worth it. The runner running, the Christian experiencing some layer of suffering for someone else. We want to see other people grow. We experience the joy, God gets the glory, but we want to see other people grow and come to know Christ. A Christian, an Australian pastor named Richard Chin, he wrote a book on Colossians. It was called Captivated by Christ, which is part of where we got our inspiration from. And in talking about this section, he has this uh, great quote. He says this, Here then is God's infallible strategy to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus, to have a world which knows Jesus, the prayerful proclamation to the nations through suffering. We preach Christ, but we do it in a way that will result in suffering in some way, shape, or form. Friends, if we want to be faithful to him, we need to expect and embrace suffering. When we do that, people will notice People will notice. I had it before I was, um, went to Bible college and now become a pastor. I worked for a construction company called Lippman, um, multi million dollar business, doing similar to that kind of stuff. Anyway, Elizabeth and I felt like the God and the church was calling us into vocational ministry, so I needed to resign, obviously, from the job. And there was three months in between from when I knew I was going to leave to when Bible college started. I wanted to stay, but I didn't think that it would happen anyway. By the grace of God, I got to stay for those extra three months. I'd resigned, but they kept me on. 
In that three months, I had this incredible opportunity to continue to be a blessing to the world and the, the, the workplace to the way we worked, but to share Christ in a way that was different. Because I was always in some way open about my faith, but when they saw I was giving up something, they were just shocked. They, they, it was meaningful to them. They were genuinely like, Matt, why? Why would you do that? This is not just something that you do on the side. Wow, this is central to who you are. I remember one of my mates were on a very similar trajectory and I told him about Jesus and all this kind of stuff and then while I was leaving and a whole month later he came back, we're at lunch and said, Matt, I don't get it. I don't get it. This Jesus guy must mean something to you. Your wife's about to give birth in two months, you're throwing away a promotion, all the things that we're kind of working for. He could see that Christ was worth something to me. And I don't say this to make Matt look good. I say that because he didn't see me and think Matt was great. He saw that I saw Christ was great and worth pursuing. And it became meaningful to him when I was, in his eyes, suffering. Now, of course, that's not all of our stories. We have different ways, all of us, different ways which will pursue Christ, sacrifice things and suffer in order for his, his mission to go out. And it's not just a one-off thing, right? Please encourage me to keep sacrificing for Jesus. It's not just, I've done my, done my bit and I keep going. And it's the same for us. We're going to just do it once and then stop. Continue to encourage me. Continue to encourage one another to take sacrifices because it's 100% worth it. So friends, let this passage challenge you, but really just inspire you. Inspire you that the Christian life has the marks of suffering, but it's worth it. It does make us ask, though, what are the marks of suffering in our life, in the Christian walk? Is it, how is it that the way that we live, we can see in ourselves and people also see in us that there's a tangible difference? There's something different about the way that we live that shows that we live for Jesus and not ourselves. There's so many ways that we can do this. Uh, perhaps some are flowing through your mind about the ways that um, you already do this, keep going, or the ways that the Spirit is challenging you. At this stage, across the world enjoy. It's probably not for us. Maybe in Sydney that will be the case in years to come. It's currently not. But certainly socially, we suffer. Certainly there's ways for us that live in suburban, comfortable Sydney. talents, our time and our treasure, when we generously use them, we use our gifts, our abilities, our talents, when we give of our time, especially when we give of our treasures, our money, they're the things that are hardest to give and we feel it 100%, we feel it, we feel the level of suffering that comes as a result of that because our lifestyle is literally different, it is tangibly different, we will have less in some way to our neighbours next to us. We will have less materially, less experiences that the world is chasing, but we're getting something more. But it will take some level of suffering for us because we sacrifice in order to see people come to know Christ, in order for them to know him and grow in him, to find life and forgiveness. I came across this story this week of a man named Richard Bo uh, William Borden. He was a 25-year-old man living in the 1800s, and he was a millionaire. Back then, 1800s to be a millionaire, I don't know what that is now, but a lot more than a million. 
And he went to become a missionary over in China, but on the way he went to Egypt. He spent three months in Egypt and died. Before he died, one of his mates came to him and he asked, hey, is, is, was going to Egypt a mistake? Was it a mistake? Threw away it all, was it a mistake? He was weak, he couldn't talk, so he grabbed a piece of paper and he just wrote, no regrets. No regrets. He's buried outside Cairo in this kind of nondescript grave uh, with a tombstone that has his name, dates of his short life, and then this statement. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. That's the vision that captured Paul. That's the vision that Jesus has for us as his church when Christ is made great in our hearts, in our minds, in our being. We will live a life that says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. In the little, little things that we do, in the bigger things that we do, in all aspects of our life, the way we live, the way we talk, the way we give, the way that we sacrifice for others, we're captivated by Christ. We will live for him. And that's what we're about as Christians. The cause of Christ, the blessing of the world. We live as servants for the cause of Christ. We bear the marks of suffering to bring God the glory. We experience the joy. He, experiences, he has the glory and people come to know him. Let me pray for us because we certainly need the Spirit's help to do this. Father, you're an awesome God. Jesus, you are an incredible Savior and Lord. You are the suffering servant, Jesus. You've gone before us. You went to the cross, you died and you rose again. And we know that what you've called us to is worth it. But to go through suffering is incredibly hard. To make sacrifices is incredibly intentional and difficult. Please work through us by your spirit to know that your cause is greater than anything of this world. You've called us to something great, something beautiful, something good, something true. By your spirit, may we walk your walk in this world. May people come to know you. May we be a blessing to others as we go about serving you. In Jesus' name. Amen.